and Hound podcast. Hello and welcome to the Horse and Hound podcast. I'm Pippa Rim, magazine editor here at Horse and Hound. Well, the sun is still shining and I went out unaffiliated eventing last weekend. There's nothing quite like the buzz of that first cross-country round of the season, so it was brilliant to get that under my belt. Our guest this week is the international Grand Prix dressage rider Sonna Murray-Brown. He talks about his rising equine stars and coming back from breaking both his legs. I just thought, God, why has this happened to me? I've, I've got dreams to fulfill. I've got places to go. You know, wh- why is this happening to me? This is not my story. Last week was, of course, the Cheltenham Festival. So we'll be starting our news review with our racing team chatting about all things Cheltenham. After that, I'll be quizzing our news writers on whether we'll still be riding horses in 20 years' time and a new laminitis study. Finally, Bits and Bitting expert Trisha Nassau-Williams talks about bit selection and resolving issues in this area. So in my mind, the first thing to be clear about is what your goal is. What is it you're trying to achieve? However expensive the equipment you buy is, it's only going to be as effective as, as the rider actually using and implementing it. So pop on your bridle and let's get going. Hello, I'm Polly Bryan, dressage editor at Horse and Hound. My guest this week is one of the UK's top Grand Prix riders, Sonna Murray-Brown. Sonna made his Grand Prix debut in 2018 with his very talented horse, Erlentans, and the pair have achieved some amazing results together with wins and top three placings both at home and abroad. In 2021, they were serious contenders for the British Olympic and European Championship team until injury to Erlentans sadly forced them to pull out of contention. But during this unplanned break in top-level competition, Sonna has definitely been busy bringing on some exciting young horses. Sonna, hi, how are you? Hi, I'm good, thank you. Excellent. So, Sonna, I mentioned there that, of course, you, you sadly had to withdraw early your, your top horse from team contention in 2021 due to an injury. How is he doing now? He's good, thank you. Um, he's well. He's, he's come back into work. Um, unfortunately, he had a little bit of a, a tweak uh, in his rehab process, but um, he's doing okay and um, he's got a plan in place. So hopefully he'll, um, you know, in his own time when he's ready, he'll be back up and, and ready to go again. Amazing. Well, we can't wait to see you guys back in the ring together because, of course, you've clocked up some really excellent results with him. Also impressive because he's the first horse you've trained and ridden up to Grand Prix, isn't he? Just tell me a bit more about what he's like, what he's like to ride, to train, what he's like as a character. He's great. (laughs) He's just such a great horse to have around. He's just easy. He's an amazing horse to ride. He tries his heart out and you know, he's been so good um, being off. You know, it completely changes our schedule. Mm. And he's got a great character. I mean, we've been together since he was six years old now. And um, no, he's wonderful. He's very easy to deal with. He doesn't love affection all the time. Um, okay. He, you know, he he picks his moments when he wants attention and when he doesn't. But um, no, he's lovely. He, you know, he's a star to have around in the stable, and everyone loves him. And you know, he's cheeky, and he he definitely has his moments. But um, yeah, he's he's a horse I could, you know, I couldn't have wished for a better horse to my, for my first one to train to Grand Prix. He's surpassed all my expectations. I always believed in him, but you know, he he just got better and better and better. The stronger he got, the more we trained. You know, he was so uh, rewarding to to train and, and is. And I love him. I uh, He's just such an amazing horse. So, Yeah, he's I mean, he's definitely an amazing horse to watch in the ring. And, um, and and some people might also know him from the year that he spent competing with Charlotte Dujardin while you were recovering from an injury yourself. That was 2019, I think. Gosh, was it? (laughs) I don't know. The years have just all all rolled into one, I think. They definitely have. You're right. What was it like watching watching someone like Charlotte competing your horse um, at some of the the biggest shows in the world? She took him to to Arken. She won at Windsor. Um, What was it like watching watching them together? It was wonderful. I mean, I was very honoured that someone like that would take on my horse at very short notice and and feel she was able to ride 
him and take him and 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 compete him i as a rider i always think that it's i've done my job well if someone can get on and just ride the horse and um and have a good time riding the horse um obviously she's an incredible rider and um can get a tune out of anything so i was very honored and it was thrill it was a thrill to watch them both um and you know it was great to he was so fit and ready to go i didn't want him to spend the season off because i was off so uh, and he needed to gain the confidence at the level so i was um yeah i i was honored when she said that she would take him in um and do some competitions and it was it was great to watch yeah, well, it was wonderful for um for everyone else to watch as well. Um mm. and of course you you took back the reins I think at the end of that year, wasn't it? And and were, you know, incredibly successful yourself back in the ring with with him. Um just tell me if you if you can pick one, one of your sort of favorite favorite wins or favorite successes, what something that's you know really meant a lot to you with him. Actually probably when I won probably when we won the advanced medium final, the winters. It was his first big, kind of bigger uh, wins. And I just, I thought then he just gave me such a great ride in the ring. And, and I thought then, you know, this is, this is happening. (laughs) (laughs) He's going to be uh, a great horse. And that always just stuck in my mind, um, that win. I don't know why. Maybe that was just a turning point where I thought, you know, hang on a minute, I've, I've got a good horse here. I need to really, you know, knuckle down and make sure that I do the best I can by him and get the best training and, um, you know, fulfill his potential, really. So, um, but yeah, I've had some great rides on him. And I've been, I mean, I suppose winning my uh, first international win at Le Mans, I mean, that was at Grand Prix. I mean, that was mm. incredible. Um, yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, that, that was great. So, um yeah, I've had some great rides. Even when I haven't won, though, you know, I've had some amazing rides on him and in competition. You know, coming in the top three and great company is has always, yeah. you know, or you know, equally been as good as winning. So, yeah, absolutely. And of course, Erland Tams is not your your only horse. I know you've got some really exciting youngsters who you've been focusing on while Early has been off games, um, including Stolen Secret, who was the overall winner at the recent British Breeding Equine Bridge event, wasn't she? She was, yes. Yes, she's a lovely little mare by Utopia. Uh, she was bred in the UK and I we had her as a three-year-old um, and actually uh, the girl that uh, worked for me, Joe, she broke her in because that was the year I actually broke my leg. And then I took over the reins and she, um, she's, yeah, she's been, been incredible. She's, she's so genuine, so honest. Um, she's exactly the same at home as she is at a competition. And she, she hasn't overly campaigned. She did the novice final at the winters um and she came when she was five um i think she was a highest place five-year-old she did the next gen final and i think she was fourth or or fifth and again she you know she she just goes in there and delivers every time and like early the the more she trains the more she learns the better she gets and yeah she's really starting to come into her own actually as a six-year-old so she's quite exciting actually you know um she loves to train and and loves to work and wants to do it and um you know I think when you have that you pretty much have everything (laughs) so yeah the attitude will take you a long long way won't it absolutely yes so what's the plan for her for the rest of this year she she's six this year isn't she she is, yes. Um, so we did the Equine Bridge, which wasn't mm. really planned. She, we gave her a break, actually, at the end of last year, just because she'd, you know, done, uh, had a couple of years in training since she was broken in. So we gave her an eight-week holiday, um, and she'll probably have an eight-week holiday again at the end of this year. Um, and so then we brought her back, back in, and then um, Michelle Dawson, who owns her and bred her, um, said, I'd quite like her to do the equine bridge. I'd quite like to support the British breeding. So we got her ready for that. And then she'll probably do, I didn't, because she had a break, I didn't qualify her for winters. So we'll mm. do the summers, elementary, um, maybe medium, but she'll probably do the six-year-old classes and stuff. So uh, the young ones. So 
She definitely sounds like she's one for people to to watch out for and keep an eye on for the future. I hope so. Yes. Yeah, I hope so. I, I, funny enough, I took her for my first le- uh, first lesson with her the, the other day. She, I've never had any training on her because oh, okay. um, it's always been taken over by the older horses. So mm. um, so it's nice to now she's six and learning more and it's nice to get some help on her. And, and you train with Carl, is that right? Carl Hester? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I'm very lucky to train with him so yeah he really liked her so yeah that was good. amazing well I think if uh, if Carl Hester really likes your horse that's definitely a good sign right <laughs> I guess so yeah <laughs> um so what else do you have coming up through the ranks at the moment have you got any others that you're you know you'd you'd, you'd say are ones to watch yeah I have another lovely mare that I own myself I bought as a three-year-old and um she's owned by me and uh, a lady called Nikki Hodge she I've just done the regionals with her, but she turns seven this year. But I bought her as a three-year-old, and um, she looked like a little point-to-pointer. She <laughs> looked like she was more ready for Cheltenham than anything else. And I don't know. There's always just been something about her, but it took me. <laughs> it's taken me about three years. So the end of last year was the first time I took her to a competition, and she's she's very hot, very um aware of everything um but she again is just wants to please but she's sensitive and as a four or five year old she was just never ready to go anywhere it would have just Mm. blown her brains and i wanted to give her the time at home to develop and learn and get strong and just get to a point where she was mentally ready to cope with going anywhere because it was always a very big deal right (laughs) so I decided at the end of last year to take her out and do some elementaries and um, she didn't score anything under 74%. So she had 74 oh, to wow. 76. So she's super talented. I, I love riding her. And to tell you the truth, if I just rode her at home all the time and never competed her, I'd be happy because she's just a thrill <laughs> to ride. So, um, But I think she will be a very special Grand Prix horse. I hope she will. I believe in her and I have done since she turned up looking like a little unit <laughs> point to pointer and there was just something about her and I thought no I, I believe in this horse and we're going to do it so um you know she she has a very natural trot um her canter is not so natural so we've had to work on that but it's great I've learned a lot training her um and I continue to learn a lot training her and I think she'll definitely be worth it so um Amazing. she's very exciting yeah she ended up third at regionals the other week um because i had a few little little hot moments but she's now ready to go out and do more and um she'll do the winters um at elementary and then hopefully we can push on now but yeah she's very exciting um, and what's her name she's called annie in the stable um but she's called uh facide simply amore Okay, that's a name for everybody to look out for in the sort of I shorter so. term and uh, <laughs> years to come, hopefully. I hope so, definitely, yeah. Definitely. <laughs> Excellent. Um, so, Sona, let's rewind a little bit because just the fact that you have built such a successful dressage career is is really remarkable, actually, given that your career very nearly ended before it properly begun. You were involved in a really serious car crash when you were 20, weren't you? Just tell me a bit about what happened and what, what the sort of implications of that were. Yes, I was. Yeah, at the time I was a working pupil at uh, Jenny Doris and Clark's um, and had been for just over two years. And I jumped in the car to go get some ice cream <laughs> at the end of the day. Um, I was a front passenger and my, and my boyfriend at the time was driving. And he, yeah, he lost control of the vehicle and we went head on to another vehicle at 60 miles an hour and that broke both my legs so I woke up in well I woke up on the side of the road thinking what the hell is going on oh my Uh, gosh and I didn't realize at the time I didn't really realize until about three days later that I'd um, actually broken both my legs and that was yeah that was it game over I was told you know in no better terms like we'll get you walking again but that's it for riding that won't happen so my life came crashing down pretty hard yeah 
It must have been just, I mean, unimaginably difficult to deal with um, when you had so much potential, um, you know, so much ahead of you. But um, but I think you, you came across a, a very good surgeon, didn't you, who was incredibly um, influential in, in sort of getting your life back on track. Just tell us a bit about how that happened. Yes, I did. Yes. I, well, I mean, two years after the crash, I still had a non-union fracture in my my right femur, which was the issue. And okay. unfortunately, it just wasn't healing. And they tried, um, you know, numerous things, putting more metal in, stabilizing it, bone grafts. Um, I was I was trying everything I possibly could. But then I decided to go on a quest to find a, a different surgeon and, um, you know, who had more time. Mm. more one-to-one and more specialized in lower limb fractures and I found uh, Professor Michael Sarley and his name kept coming up and I actually went to a few appointments with different surgeons and one said I'll have to completely lock your leg straight I don't think you can heal that kind of fracture and I was like no absolutely not I'd rather (laughs) it go wrong trying than not try at all um, okay. I said, I will find someone who who can fix it. And then uh, I found him and um, he, I said to him, look, you know, I've been off for two years now. I said, I need to get back to my career and I need to get back riding. Mm. Not not thinking that I was going to ever, <laughs> but I didn't want to stop believing that I wouldn't or, or would. It was just a case of taking every day that came. Um, but, you know, I needed to get to a point where my leg wasn't broken you know to be able to walk to be able to walk upstairs and right it was frustrating i'd spent two years waiting for this fracture to heal and it was still broken and he just said to me um i said you know if you can't do it don't try find me someone who can i said i'm fed up with waiting <laughs> i was very <laughs> frustrated at the time um you know i was then 22 23 you know yeah. and i'd had a broken leg for two years it, it was um, very frustrating. Yeah. And um, so he said, um, out of about the 20 people I know who could fix your leg, I'm probably one of the greatest. And I said, great, let's do it. <laughs> and then he said to me, I need another two years though to do this. And that was a real hard point for me because I thought, oh my God, from what I've just been through, another two years, you know, in, when you're in the prime of your life, you know, 21, 22. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> and um, I, that was a real hard pill to swallow, mm. really hard. But I needed to just get back to a point where I could ha- live a life, you know. Um, yeah. You know, riding was very much put on the back burner, but I suppose I never really said to myself I wouldn't and I never really said to myself I would again, you know. So... There was hope, but not too much hope that there was then disappointment. Sure. Okay. But I mean, he obviously did did an amazing job. How long did, did it take before you were back on a horse again? Oh, God. Probably probably nearly two years. <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, and then, you know, I, I just got back on and went walking and stuff. And I, I very much said to myself and my parents and everyone, I just said, look, if, if I can't do this, and achieve the dreams that I had, I would rather just close the door and move on to something else, you know, because sure. I would always be, I, I would never feel fulfilled because I had dreams, I had ambitions, which I still do now. Yeah. And I would have rather just walked away from it and, and just said that was obviously not meant to happen rather than try and do it, you know, unsuccessfully <laughs> mm. in my mind. Um, yeah. So I was very lucky that, I felt okay and I took each day that came and um, here I am now. <laughs> <laughs> it's absolutely amazing where where you've got to. And and I had a great team at home, don't forget, you know. Um, I had a great physio and personal trainer and I went to a hyperbaric chamber every day and, you know, I, I did everything. And my friends yeah. and family, I mean, you know, that's when you really need them um absolutely and they kept me they kept me going really very much i'm 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 very lucky 
in that respect, very, very lucky. I was given a second chance really to do something that I loved. So um, in that respect, I'm very lucky as well. Yeah, absolutely. Does having been through an ordeal like that help you um, sort of put things in in perspective and, and maybe deal with other setbacks, such as when you broke your leg again in 2019 <laughs> or when Early had his injury? <laughs> I mean, those things can be, you know, really, really tough to, to deal with. Do, do you find it, it, it easier to look at them in a more positive light, perhaps, having been through what you've been through? Maybe, yes. It definitely made me understand patience right um, okay and <laughs> um, definitely but yes when I broke my leg again that again that was hard um yeah I bet I'm not gonna lie it's it's tough mentally you just think how how many more you know setbacks and um blows can you take and mm-hmm. you know and then and then I suppose I got back from that then he was going you know we came out pretty strong and then covid hit and then we came out the next year, next year the year after and then um he had an injury so um i've definitely had my fair share of knocks i'd say so <laughs> but yeah each one's been been completely different really um, okay. different situations different scenarios mm. it definitely does put your life into perspective when something major happens like that you know you know when you break both your legs you're lying in bed i couldn't get up i couldn't do anything for myself and all my friends at the same age were going on and doing loads of stuff and i i found it very hard to listen to people and understand you know that they you know i was so happy for them but equally i i just thought god why has this happened to me i've i've got dreams to fulfill i've got places to go you know why is this happening to me this is not my story right (laughs) this is not this is not happening but (sighs) it did and it was obviously a lesson learned from you know in one way but i definitely have become more patient and more understanding and when things happen i do believe they happen for a reason all i have to do it's another hurdle we have to just look at what we can do, move forward and, you know, and keep going. Yeah, it's an amazing attitude. Have you got any sort of advice you might give to other riders out there who might potentially be dealing with with injury or, or you know, other setbacks and ob- obstacles? I think you just have to keep moving forward. I mean, mm. the horses are a great leveler, aren't they? You know, Absolutely. one minute you're up, one minute you're down. You know, some people have a bit more luck than others. Some people maybe make them more luck than others i don't know um but everyone's on a different challenge everyone has different challenges everyone has different journeys and um i definitely have a quite a quote actually that i always stick to and and it's i don't know why it just always resonates with me but um i always remind myself that comparison is the killer of joy and that is definitely right i think you know you're on your own journey and you have to just believe that stuff will come to you when it's right and if you have a plan and you have your goals and your dreams and it it will happen but whether that happens tomorrow or in two weeks it, it doesn't matter what will mm. be will be and yeah well i mean it's an amazing sort of motto to to live by so what i mean what are your aims your goals you said you, you like to look forward rather than looking back which um i mean i think is a really a really positive mindset what are your goals for the sort of year ahead and, and further afield um i think i've always wanted to be the best i can be really as a rider you know mm. i work very hard to improve myself every day and I put a lot of pressure on myself to be a good rider and you know i i want to train i love Mm. training i wish i could train every day with carl and i want to improve and i want to compete i i'm a competition rider through and through really if i wasn't i would probably be wealthier (laughs) um (laughs) because i would sell the horses that i train (laughs) um and but no, I want to be on championship teams. I want to. I want to go to the Olympics. I want to go to the world. Mm. I want to go to the Europeans, and I want to do them numerous times. I yeah. I'm not um, embarrassed to say that. That's definitely yeah. whatever sport I would have been involved in, uh, whether it was horses or 
or whatever, I would have wanted to be the best. That's just my mentality or try and be the best. And so, yeah, of course I want to train, you know, I, I really want to train more horses to Grand Prix um, and try and be as successful as I can be and, um, you know, ride at great competitions and, you know, try and get back on the international circuit and, you know, get out there and um, fight my way to the top. <laughs> Wow. I mean, <laughs> you've you fought your way an awfully long way along your, your journey so far. I would say if anyone can uh, can get a bit a bit further along, it's, it's uh, probably you. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Well, you know, <laughs> lots of people have lots of different hurdles and stuff. So mine are just mine. But um, anyone's going through a difficult time, then, you know, just keep moving forward because it does get better. So well i think that's absolutely great advice sona it's been really lovely to have you uh on the podcast today it's been really fascinating to hear your story to hear your um advice to others and and to hear about your really exciting um upcoming horses as well very excited to see you, you out and about with them as well as hopefully with um lovely Erlentans before too long so thank you very very much for coming on thank you very much for having me it's been a pleasure thank you Hi, I'm Jennifer Donald, and I'm here with my colleague Gemma Redrop to kick off this week's news review with a look back at last week's thrilling Cheltenham Festival. Well, Gemma, I think you and I both agree that it's one of our favourite weeks of the year, and this year's festival had it all, didn't it? Big winners, fairy tale stories, an emotional farewell to the one and only Tiger Roll, um, and the sun even came out for the end of it. So it was pretty <laughs> epic four days. What were some of your highlights? I mean, obviously there's loads and um, yeah, like you say, I'm sure we could sort of talk about it for a very long time. But um, <laughs> my two sort of biggest highlights came actually on the on the first day, on the Tuesday um, and Constitution Hill in the first phase of the festival, which is the Supreme Novices Hurdle, was super, super impressive. Um, it was, wasn't when, it? Yeah, winning. So he's trained by Nicky Henderson and he was ridden by Nicky de Boinville. And in the end, he, he won that race by 22 lengths, easing down. Um, and he sort of, to give you context, he beat the likes of his stablemate, John Bon, who cost, last November, he cost £570,000. So obviously he was a, he was a <laughs> smart horse. Uh, and, and Dysart Dynamo, who um, was the, the Willie Mullins trained favourite, but he fell three out. But I don't think, when I was watching it, I don't think he was actually ever going to really be a real threat to Constitution Hill. So he was really smart. And actually, it's quite a nice story with Constitution Hill. Um, as uh, former top national hunt jockey Barry Garrity got, I think got him as a foal and broke yeah. him in. And there's really cute videos of Barry's children riding him as a three-year-old at home. Like he's super chilled and, but obviously super impressive and uh, a really exciting one for the future. I mean, it's amazing that he can be like that at home and then go and win a race like that. I just, I don't get it at all. Because I was actually at no. Sandown when he won those those both times in the lead up to Cheltenham. And, you know, you thought he was good, but you, you until he yeah. actually beat those horses at Cheltenham, it's not until yeah. then you realise, wow, that is some engine he's got, isn't it? Yeah, he is amazing. And like you say, he could just switch on and off. And I quite, <laughs> I'd love a horse like that. I know, <laughs> wouldn't we all? <laughs> um, and then my, my sort of second highlight came later that day and it has to be, Honeysuckle, oh, we won yes. her second, her second <laughs> champion hurdle. Now she's unbeaten now in 15 career starts and 10 of those are grade ones. So she's just like no other basically. She's trained by Henry de Brom, Bromhead and ridden by the amazing Rachel Blackmore. So she's a phenomenal mare. And I think now as an eight year old, she's got a nearly 1.2 million in prize money, which wow. she's just amazing. So yeah, those are my two highlights. And she's amazing as well, because I just, I, you keep thinking at some point she's going to have to get beaten and then she just never looks like she is. It's just yeah. uh, some horrors to achieve she's, that. So. She's so tough. And, and actually what's quite interesting is both her and Constitution Hill, potentially there could be a super exciting clash on there going wow. head to head in next year's champion hurdle from what I've read, yes. so, which would be very exciting. We well, so. see, I'm torn now because I would love to see that, but I don't want Honeysuckle to be beaten either. So no. <laughs> I'm not quite sure who to cheer for in that. It's yeah. um, very exciting. How about you? What was, what was sort of your highlights? So I think the highlight for me, definitely, it comes from Rachel and Henry de Bromhead again in the Boodles Gold Cup on Friday. That mm. race, I mean, it was spilled as, as a great race anyway, but uh, the performance that Apley Tard put up to finish so strongly up that hill, 
Um, I've never seen a race that, you know, that impressive, that kind of finish at the end of a race like that. Um, and credit to Rachel as well, because, you know, she she finished second in the race last year, went away, did her homework, rethought yeah. everything, came out, completely changed her tactics this time. Um, and it paid off. And, um, you know, we don't need to talk about glass ceilings or the first female jockey anymore because she's, she's done it all now. And it's it's so impressive and I love it. And she's great for the sport and great for everything. So. She was great. And I was watching her. I think they had her on the opening show on ITV on the Friday morning. And sort of I, she, I felt like she's not getting laid into a little bit, but like sort of AP being sort of saying to her, <laughs> oh, you know, sort of focusing heavily on her getting beaten essentially last year. And she was, yeah. you could see it in her mind. She was just like, watch me like I've got my plan and I know what I'm doing. She's so focused. Um, yeah, yeah, she's very shrewd. <laughs> she knows things. I mean, she's so tactical in any race. But yeah, she really thought about it. And uh, and actually credit must go to Henry de Bromhead as well to train the first two home in the Gold Cup for the second year running is uh, yeah. seriously impressive. Yeah. Um, but yeah, again, on Wednesday, the emotions were sky high. One of my other highlights was Tiger Roll's final oh. race. I mean, he was so gallant in defeat on Wednesday in that cross country race. And I think we were all willing him home. I mean, he's so little, especially compared to coming up that hill against his stable mate, uh, Delta Work. And um, I think the whole nation was just willing him to get his nose in front. And it, it, sadly, it wasn't quite the fairy tale ending we were all hoping for. But um, jock I mean, his jockey, Davy Russell, gave us some great insight and said, you know, he would have hated that ground. He just he yeah. really outshone himself. So to produce a performance like that was brilliant. And, um, and then I think we all heard the pantomime booze as they all came back in. It was like, oh no, but um, Davey, always the gentleman, he was such a good sportsman. He sort of said to Jack, you know, come up alongside. And by the time they got to the winner's enclosure, the noise and the, the cheering that was going in for all of them was, oh, it was, you know, it was proper spine tingling. So uh, yeah. that was great to see. And then to see his owner, Michael O'Leary in tears as well. It was just, <laughs> um, it's quite an emotional um, finish. So. So, um, yeah, but he's safe and sound and out out in the field. I think now in, at home and enjoying his retirement. So it's rightly so. Yeah, I think he deserved it after all <laughs> yeah. that. And actually, we've got um, Davy Russell coming on the podcast to talk about Tiger Roll and do a proper tribute. So yeah, don't want to miss that. This should be good. We'll hear what he has to say. That'd be really cool. And then one of the other fairy tale stories from the week came in the stairs hurdle on Thursday, didn't it? There's a great story behind the syndicate-owned winner Florine Porter, isn't there? Really cool story. Um, so Florian Porter, yeah, he won his second stairs hurdle. He won it uh, last year as well. And obviously there were no crowds there last year. But my God, <laughs> did his connections. And I think they, so the, one of the syndicate uh, um, members said, that he thinks the whole of the parish from home were there no to way. support him <laughs> as well. Um, so yeah, he was ridden by Danny, Danny Mullins and trained by Irish trainer Gavin Cromwell. And he's a really quirky horse. So although he wasn't running until the Thursday, um, Gavin actually brought him over from Ireland on the Saturday to help him settle. And 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 obviously Danny gave him a, a lovely ride. But the story behind him, he was bought reportedly for five thousand euros from a Facebook advert. That is crazy. <laughs> yeah. And his syndicate run by Neg or headed up by Ned Hogarty, who owns and this is the story behind his name, who owns a flooring business in Galway and the other members met some other members of the syndicate own a pub and apparently the, another word for beer in Ireland is porter, hence oh, his what? name Flooring Porter. Yeah. That is fantastic. <laughs> I love it. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, so um but like I say, the celebrations were <laughs> they had Danny Mullins up on their shoulders in the in the winners' enclosure, and everyone was wow. going wild for it. I definitely loved it. But yeah, it's brilliant, and it just goes to show, you know, you can join a syndicate for yeah. five thousand euros, and yeah. Uh, yeah, and have a victory like that is something Absolutely. else. Yeah, Amazing. No, really well, cool. there's hope for us all. <laughs> yeah. um, and there were a few sort of shock results and hard luck stories through the week as well. Unfortunately, I mean, there were. I think the whole country did a collective gasp when Galapin de Sean fell in the last in the Turner's Novice on Thursday. Did your heart sink at that moment as well, Gemma? Yeah, and because I sort of had, he was one of my picks of the week. I oh love no. him. He's <laughs> such a gorgeous big horse. And he had it won and, it, and, it, and I think he was 12 lengths clear. And he the fall was weird because he actually jumped the last fence well and he just sort yeah. of buckled. Um, and it was meant to be sort of a big race between him and Bob Ollinger, who Rachel was on another Henry de Bromhead horse. But he'd left mm -hmm. him he'd left him he'd gone he was going to go and win that the race it. and and that was it so but I think he's fine and so hopefully he'll, he'll get his moment yeah 
Yeah, he, I think he just caught his um, foot in the rain or something, wasn't it? Oh, he, was um, it? Yeah. yeah, so it looked like he was he was kind of standing there. But yeah, I think they were yeah. all fine. But um, yeah, and talking of jewels, the other one was um, Shishkin and Energamine. We were all mm. so excited and there was so much expectation behind the rematch between those two and the champion chase. But um, I think we... Uh, the, the sort of outcome from Nicky Henderson was that he just didn't enjoy the going. That was the day that yeah. it rained and rained. And you could see from the start that Shishkin just wasn't enjoying it and he was pulled up. So, I mean, it was a sad end, but um, we think again, he'll be out hopefully to fight another day and long may their yeah. duels continue because two horses like that for the sport is just fantastic. So, um, yeah. and hats off to him and Energamine for, for winning the race. But um, there's a lot of what might have been and what ifs yes. and... <laughs> <laughs> it's the whole yeah. thing about Cheltenham is, is so many hard luck stories and what if so for sure and overall the Irish didn't manage to dominate quite the same as last year but they still finished with 18 winners compared with 10 from the British trainers mm. um, I particularly enjoyed seeing winners from the likes of Lucinda Russell and Venetia Williams but Irish trainer Willie Mullins broke his own record to land uh, what was it 10 winners at the festival I mean yeah. that's just <laughs> staggering wasn't it <laughs> yeah it's an amazing feat and like you say it's good that Breton were a lot you know a lot closer this year than they were last year it's and um, we've got some real real promising horses to keep going with in the future but yeah Willie Mullins is just I don't he's just magic isn't he? yeah I don't, I don't know how to best describe him but um one of another sort of winner that I really enjoyed of his was Alaho in the uh the Ryanair chase and I bar the last fence which she didn't jump so well he just pot it just looked like he was just schooling round. it was yeah. amazing <laughs> at um, Cheltenham as well it's crazy yeah. <laughs> but um yeah, Willie Mullins is definitely something else. Yeah, it's fantastic for the sport and uh, yeah. we can all enjoy it. Um, and finally, I think one of the overwhelming memories of this year's festival was the return of the crowds and the unmistakable mm. sound of the Cheltenham roar. I mean, it makes you realise that, you know, great sport is just half the equation, really, isn't it? Crowds and atmosphere make up a huge yeah. part of events like that. So it, it felt special this year, I would say. Yeah, for sure. I think Cheltenham had at least two days were, were record sold out days. So yeah. it was and I think everybody's just grateful to be, I back, know. you know, <laughs> have, having, you know, saw, saw images of even the Guinness village. I don't think anyone oh, could yeah. know. <laughs> um, and unfortunately, I couldn't go. And I was by the day it rained and rained and rained on the Wednesday. Yeah. I was sat at home really wishing <laughs> I could be there. But no, the, the, I, from what I gather, the atmosphere was just um, unbelievable. You went, didn't you, Jan? Yeah, so I was there just on the Tuesday and they're back again on the Friday. And uh, yeah, I mean, it was absolutely heaving. I've never, especially on the Tuesday, because Tuesday is usually the quiet day. But yeah, it was absolutely heaving. And uh, there was just such a great, happy vibe. And I, I think it might have been a bit more miserable on Wednesday, as you say, when the rain <laughs> did not stop. But uh, yeah, just so happy. After the stony silences of last year, um, yeah. I think the reception and the the crowds made it this year so it was very special well Gemma I think we could sit here all day reliving these yep. epic Cheltenham <laughs> moments but uh, at least we've got Aitree to look forward to so yeah. that's um, something to keep us excited so uh, thank you very much yeah no problem at all thank you Jen so I'm here today with two members of our news team first of all our news editor Eleanor Jones how are you Eleanor I'm very good. It's going to be 17 degrees. Spring is here and the badminton entries are in. <laughs> yeah, I am very excited about that. I have to say when they landed yesterday, I, uh, I very I very rarely print anything to do with work these days now that we don't have an office. But I did hit print on that because I was like, I'm literally going to spend the next five weeks looking at this list, doing things on this list, counting things on this list. I'm just hitting print on this now. So I'm loving having those bits of paper on my desk with the entries on. Yeah. First one for two, three years it'll be. Yes, we haven't had a badminton since 2019. So yeah, really exciting. And it's such a strong lineup, um, as we would have expected. But we're seeing all of Britain's gold medal winning team coming forward. Our medalists from the European Championships last year as well, all also in the mix. Um, and yeah, I, for one of the uh, jobs I had to do spinning off those entries, I had to sort of predict the top 20 riders for that. And it was a difficult job to, uh, to, to go through and, and do that at, at this stage. It looks like such a strong field. And a lot of first timers as well. I think I went through and counted, and I reckon between the between the waiting list and the main entries list, we've got forty first timers. And I guess it's a case of everyone who would have been a first timer over the past two years is still yeah. a first timer this year. So we've sort of got three years worth of first timers as well. 
so with with the waiting list, how many uh, people do you think will get in from that? It's a really, really good question, Eleanor. It's funny, actually, a rider actually sent me a message on Instagram a couple of weeks ago saying, I've got this many FEI points. Do you think I'm going to get into badminton? And I love the fact that I've become some kind of waiting uh-huh. list for badminton geek and riders send me messages like that. But um, yeah, there are 33 horses on the waiting list this year. The facts are that between 14 and 43 horses have been accepted from the waiting list since this system was brought in in 2008. So horses on the waiting list replace those who are withdrawn up until the two o'clock on the Sunday before the event starts. So it is a really wide ranging situation when you've got between 14 and 43 going in. So very difficult to predict. I don't know whether potentially there might be less horses, fewer horses withdrawn because they've sort of had two years without big runs, so less horses are injured, or whether it's a case of riders are less sure where they are with their horses, having had not had those big runs, so more will be withdrawn in the build-up as they get some runs under their belt going in. Difficult one to predict. I would expect it to be between 20 and 20 and 27, 28 that come out, maybe around the 24, 25 mark, but I could be wildly out. (laughs) And is that not quite a few to come out? I suppose, is it just the people who want to go a lot of the time will enter and then see what happens or... Yeah, I think it's it's a sad fact of our sport that horses do get injured and certainly horses getting injured it will be the main reason that horses come out. There will be some horses who are not ready, as you say, who the riders enter them thinking, well, if I don't enter now, I definitely can't, but I'm not too confident. I'm going to see how his next few runs go. Maybe things don't go to plan in the next few runs, so it's not that the horse gets injured, but the rider doesn't feel they're actually ready in their preparation and they'll maybe reroute to a five-star a little later in the season. Rider injury can also be a factor. The other thing that I think can be quite influential is looking ahead to championships and the guidance that riders are getting from their sort of national team setups in terms of whether they need to go to badminton or they could be selected off four-star runs. And I think sometimes you get more withdrawals in a world or Olympic year, a world championship or Olympic year than you do in a European championship year because of that. So that's why I would maybe err a little on the the higher side for the withdrawals this year because it is a world championship year. So lots of factors going on there, but really excited to see those entries. And I'm so excited. I've rudely not even introduced the other person who's with us today. (laughs) Becky Murray, our senior news writer. How are you doing, Becky? I'm well. I'm also excited about badminton. I mean, it's just, oh, it's so great that it's back. And actually, my mum's travelling down from Shetland to badminton this year. And I'm very jealous that she's going and I'm not. But um, Mm -hmm. no, it's just, oh, it's so exciting. It's such a great feeling that... Yeah, we're getting on for the year again. How long will that take her to drive from Shetland to Badminton? Um, so they will come across on the ferry, um, which is 12 hours to <laughs> oh Aberdeen. And then I think they're taking their camper van down. So, oh gosh, I have no idea how long that'll take. But yeah, quite a trip, a bit of an adventure for them. But yeah. That is a strong commitment to Badminton and I admire <laughs> that commitment. Well done, Mother Murray. <laughs> <laughs> If you are a podcast listener, I'm definitely giving you a shout out. Well done. Well, Eleanor, you have been writing a story this week which has a dramatic headline along the lines of, will we still be riding horses in 20 years' time? Well, I hope so. What What's given rise to this story? Where did this come from? Well, this in particular this week was on a webinar with that title that was organised by the Showing Council uh, on the 17th of March. But it's on a topic we've been reporting on uh, sort of more and more over the last few years, really. And it's about social licence, which is essentially uh, public acceptance of the fact that it is okay for horses to be ridden and take part in horse sport. And uh, the be all and end all of it is that if we don't have social licence, we don't have a sport because if the public does not accept that it's okay for horses to be ridden they won't be ridden (laughs) if if that if that makes sense so yeah it's very very important Mm. and tell us about some of the views that were expressed in that webinar who who was speaking and what did they say So the main speaker was the showing council chair Jane Nixon who pointed out that with uh, the fact that People all over the world can watch more horse sport than ever. It's under huge public scrutiny all the time and often by an audience that maybe isn't necessarily a horsey one. 
And she pointed out that in uh, jump racing is banned in some Australian states. There have been demonstrations at events in Germany. And people might remember when the protesters ran into the ring at the 2019 European Show Jumping Championships. And she's saying, you know, anything, any harm, anything bad, public exposure of that is only going to go up. So she said one big thing to keep help keep social licenses that we produce horses that are fit for purpose so the good good confirmation good training good handling and although we must respect the views of those one group of people who feel it's morally wrong to ride horses what we can do something about is people who feel that the horse is compromised by being ridden and what sort of practical changes are being suggested in these conversations that maybe will show that the horse is is not being compromised or indeed make sure horses are not being compromised well, well, yeah, obviously, um, one, of, one of the big things about social license is that it's so important, not only to, that horse welfare is everyone's top priority all the time, but that we're showing that. And so some things that have would support this recently include the fact that um, uh, fence colour has changed in racing, which I think we talked about on here uh, a few weeks ago, to make the fences easier for horses to see. But other stuff that was proposed was maybe tack checks at competitions. So people would think, even if they didn't want to anyway, would think, oh, I need to check my tack to make sure it's okay in case it's checked at a competition. Um, Another thing that was mentioned was pre-racing trot-ups, so uh, some race meetings. So possibly people might think if a horse isn't quite right, actually he's not going to pass, so I won't take him. So all lots of little things that everyone can do, you know, shout about the benefits to the horse of the horse-human partnership and, and make sure people know that it is good for horses as well as people. Mm. And on tack checks, presumably, they will be making sure that the tack is is comfortable for the horse, that it fits properly, that there are no pressure points or nothing too tight. That's the sort of thing we'd be looking at. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you, Eleanor. It's an interesting one. And uh, we were actually talking about social license again in our news meeting this morning before the podcast. And there are different views on it, even within the, the group that we have in that meeting. So it's definitely an interesting topic and one that I'm sure we'll come back to on the podcast later this year and in the future. Becky, you've been writing this week about a laminitis study. Who has been doing this work and what was the format of the research? Well, this is a study led by Ed Knowles, a vet at Bell Equine. Um, It was a four-year project involving 374 ponies who had no history of laminitis. And the aim was to assess which risk factors were most useful when considering whether a pony would be at risk of developing laminitis in the future. The ponies were assessed by vets every six months over the four years and they were weighed and had measurements taken and they were also given a sugar syrup at each review and had their bloods taken to measure the insulin levels and the ACTH hormone. Okay and what were the results? What did they find out? Well of the 374 ponies, 43 of them developed laminitis over the four years. And Dr. Knowles said the study showed that insulin levels proved to be the most important factor of all the things they measured and assessed. And for example, you know, you can look at a crusty neck, but a blood test is going to tell you a lot more about what's going on inside. And I think what's interesting is the fact the ponies had no history of laminitis. So, you know, it's, I think it can be really easy to assume when they have no history of laminitis that they won't get it, but this really shows the ones that could be at risk. And it even allowed them to say as far as that one pony, for example, might be at 70% risk of developing laminitis in the future. So if an owner knows that, then it will allow them to take, you know, action to prevent it and hopefully be much more aware. Hmm. And I know that you also spoke to David Rendell, who's the chair of the British Equestrian Veterinary Association's Health and Medicines Committee about this story. What did he have to say? David said the work really backed up some of the previous research in this area and made it really clear about this link between insulin levels and laminitis. He said it'd be useful for owners to test insulin levels more regularly and that it's helpful for owners to know if their horse has a high insulin level. Because he also said that if they have a low result, this doesn't mean, you know, it can't go up. We can't be complacent. You know, it can go up with changes in diet and body condition. So it is a really important and hopefully useful thing for um, owners to assess regularly. Well, sounds like an interesting one, Becky. Thank you for telling us about that. And thank you to Eleanor for joining us today too. 
Now we're going over to Trisha Nassau-Williams. Trisha is a qualified saddler, saddle fitter, bit and bridle fitter and liveryman at the Worshipful Company of Lorreners. She's lectured in Lorrenry, that is bits and bridling, to saddlery students at Capel Manor College for many years. Having previously run her own retail saddlery shop specialising in lorinery and saddle fitting, she now works as the field officer and lorinery consultant for the British Equestrian Trade Association. Over to you, Tricia. On this episode, we're going to be looking at bit selection and how you might follow a path of resolve with different bitting issues. So in my mind, the first thing to be clear about is what your goal is. What is it you're trying to achieve? So you really want to look for optimum positive communication between you and your horse. However expensive the equipment you buy is, it's only going to be as effective as, as the rider actually using and implementing it and their skill and ability to apply it to the horse. But it, that, that said, you want to get the best equipment you possibly can. So you want to also be promoting the horse's welfare by that appropriate selection and fit. So my first thought really would be, if you're really not sure and you're struggling, get sound professional advice, make contact with a good bit and bridle fitter and also have all of the other aspects looked into, such as the saddle's fit, um, the horse's mouth routinely checked by a good equine dental technician or vet and so on, so that all your contributing factors are laid fair before you even start, particularly when you've got a horse that's perhaps new to you. And also look at the different additional factors such as the level of training and the horse's ability and make sure that you're going at the right pace for both you and your horse. Next, you really want to think about your horse's individual mouth conformation. Now, common sense has got to prevail. Do be careful. Uh, a horse has got a very long equine dental arcade and you could end up with very, very crushed fingers if you are not careful. So do use common sense. But that said, it's a very good opportunity to have a very good close look at your horse, to feel over his, all over his face or any tenderness, perhaps to gently palpate the big joint at the top of his jaw, the temporomandibular joint, to see if it's even in its distance, if there's any tenderness there, feel around his bridle path, down the side of his face, just look or feel all over to observe him, and then standing at one side, very gently part his lips to look and observe inside of his mouth, look to see how full his mouth is, is his tongue very large, almost like a, a double duvet spilling over a single bed, so he's got a large crowned mouth, the thick tongue, or perhaps he's got a, a very fine mouth and there's, there's much more room and it's inside uh, the mouth quite neatly and the bars ex more clearly exposed. Have a little very gentle feel along his bars, are they very broad and flat or fine and pointed? And just look generally around to see how much space there is in the oral cavity just so that you can observe and have a look from both sides. I think the other point about this is if you do it routinely, it will become a natural thing for your horse. After all, I know my horses, if I go to pick their feet up, they actually offer their hoof up to me because it's a routine part of their daily care. And they're also um, quite used to me parting the lips and looking in the mouth just to check them routinely to see if everything is okay. So if you've had a strong level of competition or a particularly focused event or something like that, then it would be good stable management to always have a little look at the horse's mouth, his bars, just to see if there's any contusing, bruising or anything that wasn't normal before. And of course, if you're familiar with your horse's mouth, then it's much easier for you to spot when something is different. And that then will allow you to think, why is that? What's caused that? Do I need any additional support and help? Another little check. Uh, that you can do with your horse to be really familiar with it is to do a little flex test. Stand him level on the concrete with just a head collar on in a, in a quiet and contained but quiet environment and with a tip bit of some sort ask him to bend his head and neck round to his girth line on both sides and then down to his chest and keeping ideally his feet still. The reason for doing this is that if you know what's normal for your horse, if you are riding him and you think, you know, it just doesn't feel quite the same, it's just not lame, but something's not quite right. If you were then to repeat that process and find actually then on a later event, he can't do the same flex test that he did before. It's not definitive by any means, but it's another signal to you as a horse owner. Aha, perhaps I need to get some advice and support, probably from your vet in that instance. So it's all of these things of knowing your horse well. 
Other additional considerations are to think about the horse's history, the work that he's done in the past, as well as what you're asking of him, because that can be a contributing factor as well. So I had uh, somebody recently that complained that each time she went out on a leisure ride, a horse would bolt to catch up with the group ahead. And when I spoke to her more carefully about everything and the horse's history and so on, it turned out that he was actually an ex-race horse. So it probably came naturally to him to need to extend himself across the field to the group ahead. So it's just thinking outside of the box sometimes and just thinking how things are from your horse's perspective. But once you've gone through all of those considering factors, then assess where he is now and what you're hoping to do for the future with him. Because with the bit that you choose for that may vary in different types of scenario, whether you're doing lateral work or faster work and so on. Consider carefully the work that you're doing and what you aspire from it, but also work to find the mouthpiece that's going to be the most comfortable one for his particular confirmation. So if he's comfortable, he's more likely to accept it. If he's accepting it, he's going to be relaxed. If he's relaxed, he's going to be listening to your aids and you're going to have a much better ability to work constructively together. Then when you've selected a mouthpiece, of which there are many, many different types and designs, uh, one could speak about them forever, but very often we're not using the single joints anymore. We're going much more for a broken joint, perhaps with a lozenge. Again, there is such a wide range to choose from but whatever it is it wants to be something that takes into the individual confirmation of your horse's mouth into consideration so if he is a thoroughbred type he may be able to accommodate a much uh, broader larger thickness of bit in his mouth if he is a horse with a much fuller mouth say for example like a cob he may well have much much uh, less space and therefore be more comfortable in a finer uh, thickness of mouthpiece uh, having taken time and trouble to get the right mouthpiece for your horse and then do seek advice if you're not sure, the next step is really to give yourself options of which different side sections you would like. So what I mean that really is a reflection on the different families of bitting, whether it's a snaffle or a pelham or a lever bit, etc. So give yourself little thought and care as to the functionality of what you're wanting and needing. Now, most riders, generally a snaffle is the sort of go-to zone that we'll be working in. So you have selected your mouthpiece and you'll be using a snaffle. And then you can have a choice of whether you want an, a, a movable side, so whether it be a loose ring or egg butt, or perhaps slightly cheeked, or perhaps you want it to be slightly supportive in the mouth, so it might be a hanging cheek, uh, and so on. So within the snaffles in the side sections, again, there are lots of different options. If you're progressing perhaps in a faster discipline and you may want to use more of the bitting points, pressure points upon the horse's head involved in bitting than just within his mouth, so such as his pole and the chin groove, etc., then you may wish to try uh, working with a pelham or even a leverage bit. Um, for horses with a more experienced rider in very fast work, you might perhaps uh, select a running gag where the snaffle-like bit is actually integral to the cheek piece of the bridle and moves upwards with the contact of the rein. And those are for experienced riders in much faster work. And of course, there's double bridles and so forth. But thinking it through step by step is the, is the way to go. And of course, once you've found a mouthpiece that really works well for your horse, then you may use that same mouthpiece across the different families of bitting. So, for example, you had a particular type of lozenge bit in a egg butt snaffle. You might actually have that mouthpiece, perhaps with a smaller diameter, in a bradoon for the double bridle, or you might use it in a lever bit. So there are lots of different options that you can be working through. But always ultimately be very mindful of your role as the rider and the part that you're playing in all of this. Any bit will only be successful as the rider at the other end of the rein. And the bit is really not so much a device put in the horse's mouth as one put into the hands of the rider. And it will only be as harsh or as successful as the rider at the other end of the reins. So the part of us as riders is to be very mindful of having an independent seat so that the reins are never used as handlebars which you will, can see with a more less experienced or balanced riders. Be very mindful of our hand position so that if we are riding with a horse, if our hand is gentle and consistent in its position. If we're rising up and down and the hand is moving with our movement, you're doing that to the 
through the reins to the horse's mouth. So to be very mindful of having independent seat, a consistent hand position and soft and yielding hands so that you allow an evenness of contact with your horse's mouth. That's all we got time for on this episode, but to find further help and advice on saddle, bit or bridle fitting, please do go to beta-uk.org. Beta are the British Equestrian Trade Association here to serve you and your horse. Look out for the big Beta logo when you shop in store as a sign of a good approved retailer. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Tricia. Trisha will be back next week to talk about coping with a horse who's strong or out of control. Our interview will be with showing producer and show horse rider Edward Young, and we'll review the week's news as normal. If you're enjoying the podcast, do rate, review and share it in your podcast app to help us spread the word to more potential listeners. Talk to you next week. The Horse and Hound podcast is a Media Cage production.